Lots of things are better together. Hockey, food, golf. How about a cold one on the patio during a nice spring day? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. Back here on the GM Shuffle, as always, appreciate all of you listening. Subscribe to Apple Podcasts and give us some love by rating and reviewing. There's so much to get into here, Mike. Obviously, we're going to talk all about the games this weekend, which should be a lot of fun with the second week in the NFL playoffs. But this really is your forte when we're talking about coaching changes, GM changes, personnel moves, and what it all means. So let's dive right in with the Carolina Panthers. As you and I have talked about the last two weeks here on the GM Shuffle, Matt Rule, whether or not he was going to leave Baylor or not, I remember you were looking at those quotes uh, a few weeks ago, very cryptically, him saying, you know, well, I'm not going to close the door on anything. We'll see how it goes. Well, he's gone. The next head coach, the Carolina Panthers, he succeeds Ron Rivera, who went 76-63 and 63 in nine years of the team. And say this for Matt Rule. If the team's struggling, he'll turn it around. He did it with Temple. He takes over Baylor. They were awful in the Big 12, particularly the first year, and all of a sudden he puts them in the Sugar Bowl. Can he turn things around now at the NFL level with the Panthers and Cam Newton? Well, you know, I've made it very clear. I mean, I think David Tepper is a smart man, and I think he gets the long-range planning of what he has to do. And I think there's a a narrative out there that Matt Rule was going to interview with the New York Giants, and I'm not sure that that was actually true. As of Monday morning at 6.30, Matt Rule was really deciding between staying at Baylor or going to Carolina. And I think that what leaned him towards Carolina, obviously, is David Tepper and David Tepper's ability to – allow him to lay the culture down and build an organization that can sustain excellence. And I think that's really what Matt wanted. He wanted to hear that. He didn't want to walk into an organization that was trying to change but was reluctant to change as much respect as he had for the New York Giants franchise having worked there. I think that that really, the more due diligence he was doing through the month of December and until he interviewed, I think he realized that the Giants really, at the end of the day, weren't going to change. I mean, they really weren't going to be diametrically different of who they really are. You know, they can talk about it, but deep down at the core, that's what they are. So I think he decided to take the Carolina job, which really became problematic for Josh McDaniels, who's sitting there on Tuesday night expecting David Tepper to fly into town and and talk to him, thinking he might have been the leading candidate in the clubhouse. And unfortunately for McDaniels, his agent represents both him and Rule, and, you know, he never got a chance at the thing. No fault of Josh McDaniels whatsoever. So Rule went ahead and took the job. Tepper went ahead and closed the deal. Felt like he heard what he had to hear. It made sense. And, you know, you know, AD, all this nonsense about people saying, well, Rule, he overpaid for Rule. Seriously, what would you pay to have a winning culture? What would you pay to have a great leader? What would you pay to have somebody who can be the voice of the franchise? What would you pay for sustainable excellence, Right. Like so the cap's two hundred million. The franchise worth two point five billion. If I told you you can get all those things and it's only gonna cost you eight point five million, you'd laugh. You say, Well, that's a bargain, right? I mean, that's a bargain. I mean, what do they pay Jimmy Fallon to make you laugh on television, right? <laughs> Seriously. Yeah, it, it kind of goes back to what we were saying before about to, with Gruden, the money he gets, Sean McVay. We're like, listen, with the Rams, you know, it's almost a miracle whatever McVay can pull out of that team with the amount of money they've given to Goff and Gurley. So to your point, even if you're hamstrung with bad player contracts, a great coach can be the winner. Here's what I'm curious with you with specifics to rule. What is the biggest reason a college coach falters at the NFL level? It's always maddening when someone says, hey, Nick Saban's the greatest college coach of all time, but for some reason his style did not work in the NFL. For Rule, what, what's the greatest challenge in that transition to make sure he's successful? I think it's the owner. I think it's the owner's expectations. What does the, you know, when Jimmy came from Miami to Dallas, 
Jerry gave him a blank slate and blank canvas and told him to paint. And everybody said, you know, the Cowboys, Jimmy's coverages that he uses in Miami won't work. And Jimmy doesn't know anything about offense. And Jimmy doesn't know. I think the two things, it's got to be the owner and it's got to be putting together a coaching staff that has pro experience. Even though Jimmy hired a lot of his college coaches, I think you'll see Rule do a little bit of that as well. Rule's got pro experience and Rule's versatile. Rule doesn't come in with a system of offense that this is who I want to be. Rule comes in with a culture. They hired a culture builder. And he's going to be able to figure out what he needs to do offensively, what he needs to do defensively. I know he wants to hire a former NFL head coach to help him on the coaching staff. He's one of the great listeners of all time. He takes in information. And so, you know, I think those are the things. He's not inclined to do it one way. I think he sees a lot of variables on how to solve the problem. And I think that that's going to make him successful. Whereas if you hire Lincoln Riley – you're really not hiring a culture builder. You're hiring. You're trying to hire an offense because Lincoln Riley's defense has never been very good, right? Lincoln Riley's never really managed to get – you know, it's like, what am I getting here? You know, and so I think you need a culture builder. That's why I, I say Dabo Sweeney. I mean, he's a culture builder. He builds it. Yeah, I was going to say, Lincoln Riley, if, if you want to lose games, you know, 42 to 35, Lincoln Riley's your guy. He'll breed you highs from winners, but he'll also give you some pretty bad defenses. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's really what, what separates him. And I think that's why Rule told Cleveland through his agent he wasn't interested in Cleveland. He knew that, that, that you know, here's where Rule's got to sit there. If you're a college coach at a, at a successful program and you're winning, you know down the road there might be USC might open. And I'm not trying to get Clay Helton fired, but he's always on the border of getting fired every year, right? So USC might open. You know, Brian Kelly may leave Notre Dame and take a pro job. That might open. You know, there's these marquee jobs that could open. And so you're really not competing against, do I take Carolina or do I wait? You, that's what you're, you're not competing against Carolina and Cleveland. You're competing against Carolina and that owner and USC and Notre Dame and any other one that might open up. That's the competition. I mean, Cleveland's never in it. The Giants were never in it. They can talk all they want, but they were really never in it because they couldn't really give him the tools or the instrument that he was going to need to be able to build the organization where he could feel really comfortable within it. And like we talked about before on the pod, I mean, Gettleman, they said, well, they work together. Yeah, Gettleman walked by the high and said, hey, kid, how you doing? I mean, that, yeah, that ain't working together. Yeah, this is the thing. Let's talk about the Giants now, Mike, because it – you know, Patriots wide receivers coach Joe Judge, the judge and jury is not going to be the guy. The youngest of the seven known candidates mentioned for that Giants job. Here's the headline right away, Mike. It, it mentored by Alabama coach Nick Saban and Patriots coach Bill Belichick. So you go, okay, well, he's got pedigree. He's been around some great guys. The book on him, a no-nonsense guy, unafraid to ruffle feathers with players if necessary. I never know if this stuff is actually true. Is this the agent saying this? Is this the, hey, let's get this message out there. But I never know. With your time in New England, do you know Joe Judge, what can you tell me about him with him being the guy in New York? Oh, well, he doesn't bite his tongue. But I mean, I think the difference here is when you got Belichick in support, you you can say whatever you want. You know what I mean? You know, when you don't have Bill down the hall, it's a little, you got to be a little careful and choose your words, right? You know, because if the program is based on Bill's ability to tell everybody what they think, that fits in. If Bill's not down the hall to help you, you got to set your own culture and your own organization. And Joe's a hardworking guy. You know, Joe's a guy that understands special teams. I don't know how much of the offense that Joe really digested this year. But here's what we do know, and this is not disputable. We do know this is fact. Joe Judge, as of Sunday night, was going to be the head coach of the Mississippi State Bulldogs, his alma mater, right? He had interviewed with them. That's those number one choice. He then was talked to into taking the interview with the Giants. 
the Giants find out that Matt Rule's not coming in for the interview. They expected Matt Rule to be in there on Tuesday morning, right? They wanted him in the building. They thought he was going to be there. That got all canceled. Then I think what happened is Don Martindale, the linebacker coach for Baltimore, was really a guy that Baltimore was infatuated with. I mean, the Giants were making phone calls into the Baltimore organization, asking people, telling them how impressed they were with Martindale, and they needed to get back to him. They had to get through a couple interviews. What made everyone feel like if they don't get ruled, they're going to come to Martindale. And then Tuesday, all of a sudden, after Joe did a good job in the interview, John Mara, I think, decided, look, I don't want to wait three weeks to hire another coach. I'm just going to hire this guy. Belichick's called me on him. Nick Saban's called me on him. He comes with great pedigree. He can be our guy. And they went ahead and did it. And then they hired him. And look, you know, it's funny how this league's changed, right? Belichick spent 13 years in the National Football League before he got his first interview. He had eight years as a defensive coordinator and two Super Bowl wins before he got his first interview. Bill Walsh couldn't get an interview until he was 47. So the league has changed so much. That's amazing when you put it in perspective like that. I mean, two literally geniuses when it comes to coaching tree. You can't even buy an interview, much less, like you said, to actually get the job. The other part of it, too, Mike, you know, you Giants fans are just complaining, saying, well, we didn't get the known quantity, and this is an unknown guy, and Schirmer didn't have a big name. As you and I both know, who cares about the name? As long as you can command respect and get players, that's the key. And I feel like when I look at the Giants, forget about how good Joe Judge is going to be. Can he coexist with Gettleman? Can Gettleman get him the players that he wants? Are they on the same page? Because that, to me, is the issue i think it's still too dysfunctional yeah and i think that's what rule saw rule saw and i don't think and, and this is not fair to dave gettleman to be overly critical of dave dave is the symbol of the giant way right dave's won a lot of games in the nfl dave's done a good as he's getting in the later years of his life i mean he's had a track record of success but the reality here is when we use the word gettleman as a complaint towards the giants it's really probably in wrong it's about the giant methodology it's about how they want to procure and how they want to build a team and how they haven't really changed. I think that's really ultimately where it is. And also the fact that there's a lot of family members that work within the Giants. And because of that, how qualified and how talented and how much outside training have they had, right? It's a family business. And sometimes family businesses, if the younger people don't actually work out, I mean, that's what happened to Santino. He was in the family business. It didn't work out. Thank God they had Michael, right? Could you imagine if, if Vito didn't have Michael? Think about that. Could that be the one of the great shows of all time? You know, like, let's just rewrite The Godfather, take Michael out of it, and have Santino and Fredo. Now, how do you think that's going to work out? Well, here's the thing, Santino. It would just be constant like fighting. That's it. It's just we're going to we're going to the matches every single time. Let's just blow people to smithereens. There's no such thing as free trade as equitable trade. One of the great lines ever of The Godfather when 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 Santino says about Michael, "I don't want my kid brother walking in that bathroom with just his dick in his hand." No doubt, no doubt. It's so good. And I urge anybody if you ever go to the Bronx, go to Arthur Avenue in the Bronx. There's a little restaurant called Dominic's. There's another one called Enzo's up there that will remind you of you're eating there with McCluskey and and Salazzo on that street, and you're going to go in that bathroom and find that gun. I promise <laughs> you, you need to do that. But I mean, just the way McCluskey just starts grasping for air, it's so good after Michael shoots him. <laughs> oh, it's the best. I mean, the veal's pretty good. You know, and of course, all he gives a shit about is eating and getting paid. I mean, two things that McCluskey, he can give a shit about honesty or integrity. He cared about money and veal, you know, like, you know. But and I think what, what I'm, the point here we're trying to make is the family business is sometimes you are run the risk of the family members not being completely trained. This is no disrespect to the Mara family, but sometimes you need 
outside people to tell you. You know, if you read Malcolm Gladwell's book, Talking to Strangers, how does the CIA not recognize that this woman was a Cuban spy for, they call her the Queen of Cuba? Like, how did we not know that? Because we were so close to her, and she had such great reports, and she could pass the lie detector. And how did, how did Neville Chamberlain believe Hitler? And this is what the book is about, is essentially why the giants fail. Because the book is telling you that sometimes strangers will give you better information than people that are in the building. Like if John Mara really wanted to do a good job, if he really was was in love with the franchise, which I believe he is, he would have hired an outside consultant to come in and say, tell us what's wrong. Tell us what's wrong. We're 31st in the National Football League and wins over the last five years. It's one of the most darkest days of giant football history. You look at the organization, you interview people in this organization, and then you write me a report and you tell me what's wrong with and then I'm going to fix it. Because Joe Judge might be the next Don Shula. He might be the next Bill Belichick. I don't know that. I don't know that. I thought Joe Judge at Mississippi State, I thought that was going to be a good hire. I think it's going to be a challenge at the Giants in terms of how he gets the staff together and how it all comes together. That being said, I like Joe. But the reality here is, I think without understanding what your real problems are, how do you fix them? And I think that's really where they fall well short. Yeah, and if you went through all these teams, Mike, and was given like grades, uh, it pains me as a Cowboys hater, but I think the Cowboys got it right because for years of us enjoying and denigrating and laughing along with the clapper and clearly Jerry Jones hiring a guy who he's fond of and had a long relationship with, not only as a player, coach, et cetera. Now you get Mike McCarthy. And I'm not saying Mike McCarthy's a world beater, but I'll say this. He's obviously got a pedigree. He's done some things. I think he commands respect. I think he understands great offense. This, to me, feels like we, we don't, we're not sure about Joe Judge, and maybe there's some questions about Matt Rule, but Mike McCarthy, you know what you're getting now that he's the next head coach of the Dallas Cowboys. If Jerry Jones leaves him alone, relatively speaking, this feels like a winner to me. Yeah, and I think it's a really good hire. I think for the rules of engagement in Dallas, Mike McCarthy's a good hire. Now, here's the issue. Mike McCarthy has always complied with the rules of engagement when it comes to personnel. And I think Stephen even said this at the press conference. Mike will have a, a, a large role in personnel like Parcells did, which I think he'll have more say in personnel than he ever did in Green Bay. Here's where the issue gets a little bit funky, is if a player doesn't like what Mike's doing and he goes to Jerry, and then Jerry Inner comes in and tries to change what they're doing. And if the players think they can run to Jerry, if they think they work for Jerry, you know, today the Eagles fired their two, they fired their offensive coordinator, wide receiver coach, after Doug Peterson said at his press conference that those guys were coming back. So now what does that say about Doug? Does that say Doug just made a mistake? He also said he wasn't sure about Schwartz, and then they issued a release later saying, no, oh, no, no, Schwartz is coming back. So he tried to clean that up, but he didn't try to clean up the other thing, and then two days later they fire these two coaches. So for the players looking inside, what do they think? It's like Ryan Pace when he goes and tells the media that Mitchell Trubisky is our starting quarterback. MVP Mitch will be our starter next year. What do you think Khalil Mack, Akeem Hicks, Eddie Jackson are saying to themselves? They're saying, saddle up here, boys. We're going to do all the work as usual. This sucks. This, they're, when they're also saying that Pace is full of shit. He don't know what he's doing. Like the, <laughs> He's lost respect for what they're – you can't sell that, right? And that's the only challenge that McCarthy's going to have to overcome is how he can keep away from Jerry interfering with the team in a benevolent way, but it ends up really being in a malice way. 
right? Jerry thinks he's doing good, but he's really doing harm. Right, and that's always a trick with Jerry. And everyone says, listen, he can be difficult, but listen, if you own the team, you can do what you want, but if you didn't meddle so much, but I'm like, listen, if I'm signing the checks, I can do what I want. I've, I, I I get that one, Mike. Whenever people say, oh, if Jerry Jones wasn't such a meddler, I'm like, yeah, but he, he's doing, I, I, I got a billion dollars. <laughs> I bought this gigantic stadium. I'm taking care of the players. I get to do what I want. It's my playground. It's my giant toy. Like, it, it's a little bit of restraint important, sure, but I've never, never really begrudged Jerry about that. Yeah, I, I mean, that's the, per- yeah, I mean, look, I don't either. Like, as I use the term rules of engagement. You got to know what the rules are. Yeah, that's totally true. And with the rules of engagement, now the big question becomes, what the hell is going on with the Cleveland Browns? The only team left yet to hire a coach. But how about this week? According to NFL.com, the team interviewed Eagles defensive coordinator Jim Schwartz. Love him. Followed by interviews later this week, Vikings offensive coordinator Kevin Stefanski and New England's Josh McDaniels. You mentioned McDaniels earlier. I would have thought he'd be in the mix, and maybe he'll get the Cleveland job, and good luck to him if he's going to have to turn around Baker Mayfield and figure out that offense. But of those names, which one percolates to you? You know, I'm hearing Stefanski's not in love with the job. Now, he's going to interview today. I hope Jim Schwartz impressed him because I think Jim Schwartz deserves to be a head coach, even though I think it's a mess because I think you've got such disconfiguration within the organization, De Podesto, the personnel, analytics, all that. This collaborative effort, you know, just it's not going to work. My instincts tell me I think there's about an 80% chance Josh McDaniels doesn't even take the interview because really, as this whole thing, as the landscape laid out, the Browns job was probably the least attractive. Everybody thinks it's an attractive job to Josh because he's from Maslin. His dad's down there. You know, it's it was the least attractive job for him because in all candoredness, I mean, it's not set up for him to win. Jobs have to be set up for you to win, right? That's why the Giants didn't go back to Josh and interview him. They knew he wasn't going to take the job based on their current structure. So we might as well hire Joe Judge, who will. You know, we're not going to, you know, we've already interviewed Josh. He's already told us what he thinks. So we're just going to hire this guy. And I think that Josh will probably, by the end of business today, will either have the answers he needs or probably won't be involved. It's interesting. <laughs> look at look at how far the Browns have fallen. I mean, the doormats forever, and then the, the the rose is blooming prior to the NFL season. And now, like I said, who the hell would want this job? Seriously, who would want this job right now? Why would you want to go be a coach there? Yeah, I mean, and based on the rules of engagement, I mean, look, here's the thing. It's funny. David Tepper spent two years figuring out the NFL. He enacted a plan based on culture, based on building an organization that is going to be unified and working towards one direction. Jimmy Haslam spent years at Pittsburgh, and then he's been in five years, and he can't get that. He doesn't understand it. He wants collaboration. He doesn't understand culture. He thinks it's good to have disagreements. All he's done is create civil war within his building, and those things don't work. No question about it. 80% chance McDaniels doesn't even take the interview. That's good stuff. All right, coming up next, Mike and I are going to start talking some football. Each divisional playoff matchup, huge game, Vikings, Titans, all of them are huge, and we'll discuss whether they have another upset in them coming up next. All right, anytime you're on the golf course, you always hear the phrase, hit it long and hit it straight. Well, as somebody who's a novice to the game of golf, a new person, I wanted to make sure I had the best equipment possible. So... As a novice golfer, I went and hit up our friends over at PXG because they have an all-new driver called the Black Ops. I mean, my man Chris over in Henderson has hooked me up with a phenomenal driver that's built to my game. My new game that doesn't really do much of anything on the course, but it has what I need in terms of the club head speed and the kind of grip that I need to go out there and be the best to my ability. I mean, this is music to ears to any golfer, whether you're a novice like myself or if you've been playing the game for decades. The PXG Black Ops 
driver is a breakthrough in driver technology. It's a complete and total victory in golf club engineering, unlike anything you've ever seen before. Black Op drivers are adjustable to deliver a combined MOI of 10,000 plus for unreal forgiveness. That's just ridiculously high. So what you got to do, go check out the PXG Black Ops Driver. You'll be as impressed with it as I am. Learn more and get free shipping on all equipment at pxg.com slash gmshuffle and use code gmshuffle at checkout. That's pxg.com slash gmshuffle, code gmshuffle for free shipping on all equipment, pxg.com slash gmshuffle, code gmshuffle. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. I mean, the second round of the playoffs have been absolutely phenomenal, and if you really like a team, you can bet on them for the futures market, maybe some conference finals MVPs as the conference finals approach, or how about NBA finals MVP? And if you're new to DraftKings, you got to check this out. New Customers bet five bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code SHUFFLE. That's code SHUFFLE for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just five bucks only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available. For problem gambling, call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. All right, now it's time to talk some football. Mike, how did we do in the picks last week? Because I know, obviously, going into the playoffs, you had a, like a 67% winning percentage. How did we do first round? Yeah, I was 2-2. Two and two. I liked the Texans. I won that one. I liked New England. I was stupid. I liked Minnesota and the points, and so I covered that. And... I liked uh, Philadelphia, and you know, obviously Carson Wentz got hurt on me. But so I'll, I'll take a two and two. We got to do better this week. All right, Vikings and Niners kick it off Saturday afternoon. Vikings have won five straight games when both Dalvin Cook and Adam Thielen have played. Of course, those guys are key playmakers when it comes to Kirk Cousins. You like that huge performance last week, and the Forty ers led many ways, not only by Jimmy Garoppolo but also a really staunch defense. They're the fourth team since two thousand. It's twenty years to allow fewer than one hundred and seventy passing yards per game and average three or more sacks per game in a single season. So they put pressure on the quarterback. They do not let him throw the ball downfield. Who wins this one, San Francisco or Minnesota? I think San Francisco. Look, here's what a little background. So this round, the last 10 years, the home team has a distinctive advantage. I mean, they they seriously do. There's only been two years in the last 10 where teams have won two, the road teams have won two games and, and the home teams won two. All the other years, three and one or four and oh. I think there were two four and zero seasons, and the rest are three and one. So when you're trying to figure this out, there's only one road team this weekend who has a chance to win. And based on the lines, I mean that would tell you it's Seattle because that's the only game that's under a touchdown. This game is, I think, at seven right now. I think the line's moving back and forth. It's not a good matchup for Minnesota. Now Minnesota's offensive line played really well last week. It was what essentially won the game for him because they allowed Kirk Cousins to throw the ball. I thought the game plan by Stefanski and Kubiak coming off the ball with quick tempo, trying to run it quick, 
little bit different problem here. I think the 49ers are rested. Their defensive line's better. Minnesota on the road, I'm not in love with them on the road, especially when they got to go out there and play a really good defensive front. The Saints' defensive front is just good. It isn't great. Now, conversely, Minnesota won that game in New Orleans because their defensive front dominated. I mean, their defensive front dominated. They were able to play their match zones. They got away with Zendejo playing the star in the slot. He was he was actually at times he was covering you know Michael Thomas on certain kind of routes based on the distribution. So you know, I for me, my instincts tell me this is a game that I think San Francisco should win. I'm really leaning towards Minnesota and the, taking the points. I think San Francisco wins. Uh, what's the line? Just to reiterate, Mike. I think it's seven. I think you get a touchdown with Minnesota, and I think it'll be Minnesota. And I think San Francisco, I would take the points in Minnesota. I think San Francisco wins the game. All right. Last in the Vikings won multiple playoff games in a season, 1987. The number five seed Vikings beat the number one seed 49ers. A little bit of perspective there. Also, Vikings only team playing on six days rest. Not sure if that will impact them, but always something to consider. Next up, Saturday night, Tennessee and Baltimore. Titans pull off a huge upset against the Patriots at Foxborough. Now can they do it against Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens? Ryan Tannehill's never played better. Derrick Henry, fifth player since 2000 with 30 or more carries in a wild card game game but speaking of rushing how about the Ravens they average 206 rushing yards per game this season that's the most in the NFL Mike since 1976 so I feel like we're gonna get a lot of yards on the ground which team's rush defense could actually be a key towards the bellwether in this one so this week uh, just for background for everyone I'm going completely with my model I'm not deviating from my model so my model had the Minnesota game as about a two and a half point game I picked the points with Minnesota this game I have it as 11 point game and I think right now it's at nine and a half Tennessee get nine and a half I'm going Baltimore I think Baltimore's offense will be explosive I think they'll be able to exploit the weakness of this Tennessee defense which is their corners I think it's hard to play Baltimore because they make you go big but you can't tackle the talent I think offensively there'll be a challenge for Dean Peace the former coordinator there at Baltimore I really like Baltimore to win I think Dean Don Martindale who got scorned by the Giants poor wink I think he'll have a really good game plan, and I think they'll slow down Tennessee. Look, let's face it, Tennessee's passing game, so we're clear, they don't really throw the drop-back pass game is not good for them. And so if you can force them into a drop-back game, I think you have a great opportunity. I think Baltimore will do that. And to your point, Mike, Derrick Henry's faced a top 10 rush defense six times this season. In those six games, he's only had 75 or more rushing yards. So it's not like he's been as prolific against good rush defenses. And Baltimore, how good is Wink Martindale's defense? Allowed 16.7 points per game during the postseason, fewest among all teams since 1996. Uh, one more here, just to go inside the game. I want to get your thought on this one. According to Pro Football Focus, Tannehill's excel versus man coverage this season. NFL leading 15 touchdowns, just three picks. The Ravens use man coverage on 46% of coverage snaps. That's the fourth highest in the NFL. So I obviously you can break down the game with X's and O's. That to me was interesting as far as Tannehill against man coverage and how important that could be in the game. Yeah, and I think where it, where it takes it a step further is the number one thing the Baltimore defense must do is tackle the talent. They must tackle the talent, which means you got to tackle Henry. You got to tackle A.J. Brown. You got to tackle Smith, the tight end. What, where that man coverage stat really shows up is when they catch that ball and you don't tackle them and you're in man coverage and then they break free. The key theme of the Ravens defense is tackle the talent. You got to tackle the talent. And if you don't, like New England did, and you turned it down like, someone, like what happened in New England, then all of a sudden Henry's three yard games become eight. 
You know, and all of a sudden the pass catch, Brown catches a slant, and all of a sudden it goes from 15 to 50. So you got to tackle the talent. That's that focus in the Saturday night game. Moving on to Sunday, 10 and 6 Texans against the 12 and 4 Chiefs in a big playoff game at Arrowhead. The Chiefs are 10 and 19 in the playoffs in team history. That's the second lowest playoff win percentage among active franchises. So they've been perennial underachievers, while the Texans have never won multiple games in a single postseason. So both these teams got, uh, you know, issues when it comes to past history. But as far as um, the offense is concerned, listen, this is Mahomes' mania, Mike. I can't wait to see Mahomes. I know Deshaun Watson was great in that final drive, pulled it up for the Texans, but I want to see Mahomes light it up for KC. Will that happen against the Texans' defense and J.J. Watt? I think it's a bad matchup for the Texans. I really do. I mean, I think the Kansas City Chiefs have played much better defensively over the last six games. I think they've been really good defensively. They've been honed in. Chris Jones has been a dominant inside player. Getting Suggs backs, I think, helps. I think it's hard to play there. I know Houston won earlier in the season. I think Mahomes will play well. Andy Reid coming off a bye is always good. I like Kansas City a lot here. I think Kansas City wins the game. I think they cover. To, to Mike's point about the bye, Andy Reid is 22-5 and five in his career coming off a bye, so that's always a key stat for them. Also defensively, Chiefs held starting quarterbacks under a 100 passer rating in six straight games. The more I think about it, Mike, that Texans win, I mean, it was it was a sloppy game, right? It was a compelling game, but it wasn't a great win necessarily. And I, I think, they'll, like you said, they'll get tripped up against KC. They're just a better team. Yeah, I, I do. I, I think, and KC's ready to go. I mean, KC's healthy. Kelsey's a little, but their defense is playing much better. I mean, I know Will Fuller might play, and that certainly helps the Texans, but I don't think Deshaun Watson can carry the team and keep up to the level that he's going to have to keep up with the offense right. of the Chiefs. And so then you got Seahawks-Packers, which is going to be a whale of a game. Imagine that atmosphere at Lambeau Field as Russell Wilson and company come into town. I mean, Rodgers versus Wilson is going to be a fun matchup. And Wilson, historically, he's got more interceptions and a lower passer rating versus the Packers than any other team in his career. Think about that. Wilson's never done well against that Green Bay defense. And I got a rested Packers team at home at Lambeau. Uh, Packers, though, 5-5 five and five in the playoffs at Lambeau Field since 2002. They were 11-0 and prior to that. So that's interesting, Mike. You always think about the home field advantage of the Packers. Hasn't been the case necessarily over the last 20 years, uh, although Wilson is 0-3 in his career at Lambeau. Do you got the Packers in this one? You know, I like Seattle. I think the Seattle plays a lot of close games, right? And Seattle could be running out of gas here. I mean, you know, they, they lose by six inches to San Francisco at home. They go back and beat Philly. Give them credit. I mean, that was kind of – I mean, if Josh McCown – I think if Wentz plays, they probably don't beat Philly that day. But, you know, this Seattle team's resilient. I don't hold anything back on them. And I think when you watch the Green Bay Packers play, they do at times struggle to be consistent with the passing game. This is not the same Aaron Rodgers we're used to seeing that probably was the reason why Russell Wilson's 0-3 in these games. I think it'll be a field goal game. Do I think Green Bay wins? I think they could win. I would just take Seattle in the points. All right, Packers, the worst scoring and total offense among teams remaining in the playoffs. They score 23.5 points per game, so we'll see if Aaron Rodgers and company can't pick it up. And obviously, there's going to be so many key players to this game. That's one of the beauties of the playoffs is there's always a, a new star is born. You think it's Wilson and Rodgers that ends up being somebody else uh, when it's all said and done. Any other final thoughts, Mike, as far as the games themselves are concerned this weekend? You know, it's fun. I, I think with the game starting at 3 o'clock on Sunday, which has never happened before, it's the first time, I, I'm kind of glad. So Monday morning, listen to this pot. We'll probably be up Monday afternoon. We want to take some time to digest the games so that we can bring you a fresh perspective on the game and not just react to the game based on without studying it. So wait for us on Monday afternoon. We'll be for your drive home. We'll be up and ready to go. I think it's going to be a great weekend. I think this is always the best weekend in sports. 
I think we'll uh, we'll be able to have four good games. I hope it doesn't look like that based on the lines, but I hope we have four great games. Yeah, it's interesting. You're right. The, the smart guys in the desert don't think all the games will be compelling, but obviously it was a lot of fun last weekend, so hopefully we're right. And good programming note. Expect us Monday afternoon. As always, you can follow us on Instagram at GM Shuffle. Coming up next, Mike and I will break down the fact Tua Tungavailoa is going to the draft now. Is it right? Should you wait another year? We'll tell you next. All right, we'll open up the GM Shuffle mailbag in just a second. But first, we have Joe's question of the week. What do you have for us, Joe? Guys, Alabama quarterback Tua Tungvaluwa has announced that he is going to enter the NFL draft, closing the book on his college career. I have a two-part question for you. One, do you think this is a smart decision on his part? And two, which NFL team could use his talents when he gets healthy again? Mike, I think he should have gone back for one more year. I mean, I know he was a, a really good college quarterback, but you suffer an injury like that. I mean, a lot of teams are just going to be scoping him out and scrutinizing him beyond all repair at the combine. It feels a little bit risky. You're still going to go in the first round probably, but if you go back another year and really light it up, you could be the first or second pick. I mean, you'd be battling with Trevor Lawrence from Clemson, obviously, but I don't like it personally. I wish he'd gone back for one more year. Listen, as far as teams that use his talents, I mean, when he's at his apex, he's obviously a special player, great arm strength. He can scramble. He can do so many things. Smart player playing for Saban. But if I was him, I actually would have gone back for one more year. You know, if I was his dad, I would say the same thing. I said, look, go back. Just don't give up your eligibility yet. I'm not saying we're going to play, but don't give up your eligibility. As I've said on the pod before, I would have no one look at that hip until it was 100%. Now he's going to have people look at that hip. Now you watch. If he doesn't go to the combine and do all the things at the combine in terms of medically, then which I bet he probably won't do. You know, he's not going to let anybody look at that hip until the probably the rechecks in April. And then maybe he does he work out? I don't know. You know, I mean there's a lot of questions that you leave open and that may not say you're going to be look, Miles Jack was probably a top 10 pick in the draft. And those medical questions gave him to Jacksonville at the top of the second. Sometimes these medicals move you down when all of us sitting around here, you know, talking about it, we don't think it's a problem. Inside those buildings, it's a problem. And I would be really concerned to have anybody look at that hip until I knew it was 100%. So I'm with you, but look, the flirtation of money talks, and I think it did in this case. Yeah, listen, I get it, man. Go out there and get paid, and I recognize uh, the allure of that, but I think he could have got more money and maybe would have been felt better from a year from now. But that's how it works. All right, GM Shuffle mailbag, thegmshuffle at gmail.com. As always, please do hit us up. Always love to hear from all of you. This is Don from New York. Hey, guys, Mike speaks of Josh Allen's inaccuracy as a big problem. Can this issue be repaired by coaching? We heard this weakness before the draft, but after a few years, it hasn't improved. Yeah, I think accuracy is the hardest thing to improve, right? I think it's the most difficult, challenging element of quarterback play. It's the number one thing most teams want. It's why Lamar Jackson probably wasn't the first pick overall in the draft because everybody was concerned about his overall accuracy. Now, what I think happens with Lamar, and it's different than Josh Allen, is Lamar can make accurate throws down the field, and he doesn't have as many miss hits. You know, Josh Allen only completed six passes over 30 yards in 48 attempts. He can't drive it down the field. And in his first half, that throw he makes right before halftime in the back of the end zone that just went through the receiver's hands was might be the best throw I've seen him make in his career in the NFL. It was perfectly placed. It was great. It was on time. But those are so few and far between, and I think Buffalo is going to have to address it by doing different things with him, much like Baltimore's doing. Yeah, it's... um. 
it's interesting because you, <laughs> I, I found two opinions, Mike. I found some who say, man, Josh Allen, that guy's talented. Hey, the Bills are in good shape. And then there's some who are more kind of like me who say, yeah, he's talented, but God, he made some critical mistakes and he's going to have to get better as a passer. Otherwise, um, he's going to be too, it's, it's like being unformed, right? He's not fully developed as a quarterback. And I get that he's young, but when I see those weaknesses, I say, man, I don't know how much further you're going to go unless the quarterback becomes a guy who can throw the ball downfield, right? Yeah, no doubt. And that's why, to me, I, I liked Houston last week. Anytime it was against a game where he was going to have to win with his arm, I didn't think he was going to win. The lateral herd around the world for the wrong reasons. All right. Always a blast. As always, please do check us out on Apple Podcasts. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram as well at the GM Shuffle. As Mike mentioned, we'll be back Monday afternoon recapping what should be a great weekend of NFL football. Thanks for listening, everybody.